Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We begin a new series today. It's called Greater. Uh, Over time, we can begin to start to lose focus on some of the more important things. And it's normal, and it's kind of just the way it goes. But over the next several weeks, I want to talk about some of the things in our culture that uh, maybe aren't talked about as much as they should be. Um, a lot of what we're going to talk about, the, the, the things we're going to be talking about might not necessarily be new to you, but hopefully we'll be able to shed some new light on some of these old principles and ideas. Um, I think these are all things that in our culture and, and in our church even we really need to kind of keep these values up, especially the one we're going to talk about today. Before I get into that though, let's have a little fun. This was fun in the first service. I'm going to show you some categories and I want you to kind of vote with your raising of your hand, okay? So we're going, I'm going to show you two things. I'm going to ask you which one of these you kind of fall on. You'll see, it's, it's real easy. You'll see as we go. So let's start with this first one. Are you a, if you're a Pepsi person, raise your hand. Wow, there's a lot of you in the, there hardly any in the first service. Okay, Coke. Okay, I'm going to say Coke wins that. Okay, the next one would be pancakes, pancake people, waffles. Typical democracy split right down the middle. I'm not anti either one. I'll eat them both, and I'll eat them both in the same setting. It doesn't bother me a bit. So this this will separate us a little bit. Colts fans, watch this. Bears fans, yeah. To see, die hard. They die hard. How about this one? NFL, NBA. Yeah. Okay. Um, one more, cats, poor cats, poor cats, I like cats with salt and pepper, no, I'm just, uh, that's not, I, I hate, hate when it does that, dogs, yeah, see, can't resist a good dog, uh, if you want to get ahead of me a little bit and turn in your Bibles, turn to, to John chapter 13, We'll we'll get there in a few minutes. I want to start us off, though, in Matthew 20. Jesus says some really powerful things, and in the midst of, he says them in the midst of a pretty interesting culture, and a lot of the things that he said, I mean, much of what he said applies to us. Matthew 20, 25, it says, Jesus called them together, he's talking about his disciples, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. When Jesus said that, nobody was shocked by that statement. Nobody, you know, that wasn't revolutionary. Uh, what Jesus was actually doing is he's describing the way that culture and the world worked in his time. He said, this is the way it goes. Rulers lord it over those that are under them. He's saying there's an e- equation to the way the world works and the way the world is. And in and, and that day, the equation was honor is greater than humility. That's just what everybody assumed in Jesus' time. On the front end, that's what was going on. Honor trumped humility. You know, that conversation that happened, there's a point in the Bible where Jesus is walking with his disciples, and the Bible describes a time when the disciples were having a discussion behind him, having an argument about who was was the greatest. And we read that through our Western ears and Western eyes, and we say, you know, 
That doesn't sound right. There's something wrong about the idea that these guys were fighting over who was going to be the greatest. But if you understand their culture, that was a perfectly normal conversation because in that time, honor was greater than humility. Jesus lived in a period of time when it was all about achieving honor. It was all about being honored and being recognized. Now, we might describe it a little differently. We have this term, we recognize something called the pecking order. If you've ever been around chickens, you understand the pecking order. When I was little, my Uncle Gail and my Aunt Patsy had a big farm, and they raised all kinds. They raised cattle, and they raised uh, tobacco. They raised uh, pigs and hogs, and, and I remember the smell was wonderful. And um, they had chickens running around on the bar- in the barnyard. And I, I really enjoyed watching the chickens until I saw Aunt Patsy kill one, and then I didn't really like watching the chickens much anymore. But chickens order their society in one way, and it's called the pecking order. That's what their world is all about, the pecking order. So if you're a higher-ranking chicken and you're on the top of the pecking order, that's a great place to be. You get all the food you want. You have all kinds of space to strut around and strut your stuff, and you don't worry about safety because you're at the top. You don't worry about anybody else. Now, if you're at the bottom, if you're a lower-class chicken, That's not as much fun for you. The chickens at the bottom tend to be scared. They tend to be lonely. They don't eat as well. And life's not so great for them. I heard a guy that raises chickens talking about this. He he, he had little kids in his house, and he wanted to do a little experiment with them. I don't think it went quite the way he thought it was going to, but they went to the feed store, and they bought nine chicks, nine little baby chicks, and they, they already had chickens on their property, and they raised these nine little chicks away from the barnyard. Um, and when they got big enough, they introduced those nine new chickens into the existing society of chickens. And he said inside of 24 hours, all nine of those chickens had been killed. Uh, that's the pecking order. You see, Pecking order is when the big chicken learns that he can boss the little chickens around, and that's exactly what he does, sometimes to the point of death. That's how it was in the time of Jesus. There was a pecking order. Everything was about rank. Everything was about class. They viewed life as a contest. It was all a competition. It was built on status. It was all about who was high up and who was low. John Ortberg talks about the status in the time of Jesus He said, in the time of Jesus, if you were not a slave, but you were a freed man, you could wear something called a freedman's cap. It identified you as someone who was not a slave. If you had a freedman's cap on, that was a good thing to have. If you were a citizen and you could be free and not be a citizen, that was kind of like another step up, being a citizen. Um, If you were a citizen around the age of 13 or 14, you would begin to wear a toga. Now that's probably a little different than your experience in college wearing one of those. Um, But you would get a toga, and it would be something that identified you as a citizen. Then maybe you would get to move up to the next class, which was the equestrian class. They they might give you a ring for your finger, a gold ring that you got to wear that, that said something special about you and the class that you had achieved. So not only did you have a toga, you had a ring, but then you, you would step up to this thing called the senator class, and if you were in senator class, 
you got this purple stripe across your toga. And I'm not sure exactly how that worked, but everybody wanted that purple stripe on their toga. Um, Very similar to, how many of you remember the phenomenon that was the Izod shirt back in the early 80s? Do you remember that? If you're, you know, if you're a teenager, you have no idea what I'm talking about, all right? Because you think Izod and you think, what in the world? How many of you coveted an Izod shirt? Let me see your hand. Come on. Yeah. We went crazy for that little alligator, didn't we? And if you didn't have that little alligator, you just weren't as good as we were. My little brother was uh, much more the fashionista than I ever dreamed of being. Um, If my socks match, that's a good day for me. But I remember my little brother, Scott, he he was all about, you know, the look, and it had to be the right thing. You did not go buy generic jeans for him. He wouldn't wear them. You didn't buy generic shirts. He drove my mom crazy, would beg her. I mean, I think mom probably gave some of her last dollars just so she would, could shut Scott up. But he would, you know, that little alligator was a big deal to him. And I remember a time he went and got a, a bag full of clothes, and he came in, he had that little alligator shirt, and he had the guest jeans. You remember when je- guest jeans were, like, major expensive? You remember when they used to fray the jeans, cut them up. I watched my little brother reach into a bag, take out a brand new pair of guest jeans, paid more for those than I'll ever pay for a pair of jeans, took a razor blade to them, brand new, and then washed them. We tried really hard to not let my dad find out about the the guest jeans. Um, But it wasn't just about clothing for, for the people in Jesus' time. It was about other things as well. It was also about occupation. If you were elite, if you were at the top of the class, it was all about owning land. And if you owned land, you also probably owned slaves, which meant you never did manual labor. Elite class did not work with their hands. Just didn't do it. You just didn't do manual labor. You never did anything with your hands. That's just a part of being in that class and being at the top of the social ladder. Not only that, your legal condition was reflected somewhat in your status. In fact, there was a law for those with honor, and there was different law for those who were of a more humble means. And it was not a good thing to be humble in the culture of Christ. Again, I would refer you to that conversation that happened between the disciples. Them having a conversation about who was the greatest was a normal, natural conversation for them to have. We hear it, and we think, who would do that in the presence of Jesus? Pretty normal conversation. If you were a person of class, if you were a citizen, you could not be crucified. That was reserved for non-citizens. In fact, not only was it non-citizens, it was usually slaves. It was just common thought in the Roman world that whenever they talked about slavery or punishment, crucifixion was always known as a punishment for, for a slave. Seating events were different. It was all about class. Not in our day and age. Now, you can turn the television on to a baseball game and, you know, you can, you can find those, those clowns down at the bottom that realize they're on TV and they're talking on the phone to their friends and they're sticking their tongue out. And, that, you know, they're like, I moved my head. Did you see me move my head? Yeah, dude, we saw you move your head, all right? Watch the game, for crying out loud. But, but so in our culture, if you've got 400 bucks to plunk down on one of those seats, you can get the seats behind home plate. In Jesus' culture, people only got those seats if they had the right class, if they were, if they were elite and if you weren't, then you, you didn't get to sit there. The better seats went to the people who were in the upper class. And anybody, anytime anybody walked into an event, 
People instantly knew whether they were of the upper class or the lower class based on the way they were dressed, based on the rings on their fingers, based on whether or not they had caps on their heads or not. And if you were of a lower status, especially if you were at a party, you did not speak until all the other people of the upper class had spoken, and you never interrupted someone of an upper class. You just didn't do it. All of life was structured around this equation. Honor was better than humility. Recognition is greater. Status is greater. That's what it was all about, and, and in the time that Jesus lived, that's what, the way the world was divided up, and that's the world into which Jesus spoke. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And everybody listening to that would have said, well, yeah, we get that, Jesus. I mean, that's, yeah. A Roman would not have thought that that was a derogatory statement in any way. They would have said, yeah, that's our life, that's how we do it. And then the next four words that Jesus speaks change everything. He says, you know the way it works, you know how it's structured, but then he says, not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with those of you who want to be a part of my kingdom. Not so with those of you who want to follow me. Not so with those of you who want to bear the name of Christ and call yourself a Christian. Not so with you. We're going to do things a little differently. He says in in verse 26, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And all the people were listening to Jesus must have thought to themselves, What? You want me to be a servant? foreign to them. Verse 27, whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what Jesus does here is he introduces a whole new equation to life, and he introduces humility as something that is actually going to be greater than honor. And I didn't make the slide, I should have made the slide, that just basically said, Uh, serve is greater, or humility, and then the greater symbol, honor. Humility is greater than honor. Jesus says we're going to do things differently. If you're going to be with me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to hang around with me, it needs to be done differently. So Jesus was so convinced of this that he wanted to leave a physical representation for them. He understood that people learn from experience, not just from the sermon, so he created an illustration for them so that they would never ever forget. And I, I think he did something that I, I, I think we could probably promise that the disciples would never, for the rest of their lives, forget what Jesus did. If you have your Bible, turn to John 13. This is probably, if I had to pick one chapter out of the Bible that is my favorite, this is probably my favorite single chapter in the whole Bible. It's John 13, it's where Jesus. Uh, does an amazing, amazing thing. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So I want to stop you right here and make sure that you understand that Judas Iscariot is in the room with Jesus. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Have you ever been betrayed by a good friend? What was your response when that happened? Jesus' response was to wash his feet. 
I, I have always been struck by that. You want deep preaching? Here's deep preaching. Wash the feet of the people who betray you. Wash their feet. And we can talk about what deep preaching is. Deep preaching is you figure that out and then move on to the next thing. That's hard, right? We would all say that's hard. Someone betrays you, wash their feet. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. That's an interesting sentence to me. At this moment, Jesus has all power. God has put all things under his power. I, I think we get the idea that to show humility, you have to empty yourself of all power. Not true, at least not in this verse, not true of Jesus. Jesus realizes in the moment that he is full of all power. So humility is not emptying yourself of all power. Humility is not emptying yourself of your rank or of your influence. Humility is not emptying yourself of the giftedness that God has given you. Humility is understanding power, influence, and rank. All of it has been given to you for a reason and a purpose. Verse 4. And if you've got a pen in your hand, you may want to circle in, in these verses because there's a lot going on in these next two verses. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus realizes that all power has been given to him, and the first thing he does is what? He gets up, and it says he took off his outer clothing. He takes off a piece of clothing that establishes his status, that tells the world who he is. And he sheds it. And he takes a towel and he puts it around his waist. He is putting on the uniform of a slave. And he's going to get down on his hands and knees and he's going to wash the disciples' feet. Now, this is an extremely significant moment in Scripture. It would be very weird in our culture for anyone at any moment to wash somebody else's feet. It's just not something that we do very much, if at all. If you tried to do that to me, it would freak me out, okay? If we were to see each other at a ball game or something and you dropped down and started to try to wash my feet, I'm not going to lie, I'm probably going to call for security on you, right? Don't want that to happen. We just don't do that. But in Jesus' day, this is a really common, very important task. It's a normal part of hygiene for the nation of Israel. They were always walking around on dusty streets in sandals. Their feet got sweaty and muddy and dirty, and, and so this was something that happened on a very regular basis. But here's the thing. Nobody of a higher class would ever wash the feet of someone of a lower class. You just wouldn't do that. You wouldn't see it. Washing feet was an important task. It happened at gatherings and parties all the time, but it was always a slave's job to wash feet. And even for a slave, it was a demeaning task. In fact, I've heard it that, that even in Israel, there were laws that a slave could not be forced to wash somebody's feet. That's how demeaning of a task it was. 
And again, no one of a higher status would ever wash the feet of someone of a lower status. No one had ever heard of this. A rabbi washing his disciples' feet, unheard of. Jesus said, guys, I want you to get this. We're going to start a new community. It's going to be different. We're going to be different than the rest of the world. And we're going to turn everything upside down. And now everything that is up is going to be down. Now the way to honor is serving. You want to be honored, Jesus would say? Serve. He washed their feet and he created a new community where there was no pecking order. So I got to thinking this week, what would happen if Cross Lane started to take it upon themselves to live life in humility? What would it look like? What would it look like if there was an outbreak of service among us? What would it look like if we showed humility starting the, the minute we walk out of here? We just, we're going to try to show humility. What would it look like if we just didn't let anything else matter other than our pursuit of humility and service? Imagine what Terre Haute would look like tomorrow if Cross Lane went to work and really took this message to heart. If every person who calls Cross Lane home said, you know what, I'm going to go through this day with an attitude of humility, what would it look like? Let me try to say this as practically as I can. Humility is the desire to stop impressing and start investing. Stop impressing and start investing. Let's talk about this idea of Stop impressing. I'm just going to tell you about me. Um, you, you know, you, if you've been coming here for a long time, you hear me speak, you pretty much know who I am. I'm not, I don't try to hide the fact that I don't have it all figured out. There's, a, there's plenty of stuff that I wish I could do better. Uh, I'm a human being like you are, and I'm as broken as you are, okay? We get that. I think if you listen to me talk very long, you think, well, I, I know Brett pretty well. And I, I'm probably not much unlike you, but I'm just going to call it on myself. I want you to be impressed with me. I want you to leave here and think, boy, that Brett's really smart. Even though I know you're probably not, you're going to say, no, we know Brett. We, we, we know. He's, re he's really not that smart. <laughs> but that doesn't stop me from wanting to make you think that I'm really smart. I think that's true of most of us, right? That's kind of where we live. That's, and if I'm honest with you, I want to impress you. And, and this next thing I'm going to talk about, I think it's something that we all struggle with, even though we don't want to admit it. We have to give up that part of us that wants to put other people down because they didn't do something well or because they did something wrong. So sometime tomorrow, you're going to be tempted, probably today you're going to be tempted, to impress somebody with how smart you are, or with your spirituality, or with what you know, or with what you know about somebody else, which, by the way, just often leads to gossip. 
You're going to be tempted to impress somebody and they're going to be talking to you and you're not going to really be listening to them because you're going to be thinking about what you want to say to be able to impress them so they'll be impressed with you. What if in that moment you caught yourself and you remembered the words of Jesus and you said, not so with you. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to throw that out there. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I'm not going to criticize them. I'm not going to gossip about them. I'm not going to try to control that person's impression of me, or I'm not going to try to control this person's impression of somebody else. Let's focus on that tomorrow. And then there's this thing that we do. We'll call it impression management. Impression management. It is ridiculous how we do this. For instance, and I'm going to say this and you're going to think, oh, he nailed me. Have you ever told somebody to watch a television show that you watch, or maybe you're a Netflix person and you're doing this binge-watching thing now, and you've got this show that you want to tell somebody about and you're going to tell them how great this show is, but before we say that, we say this. Now, I don't watch a lot of television, but you've got to watch this show. See, that's impression management. That's what we're doing. What we're really trying to say is, I don't want you to think I'm just a popcorn-eating, slouched, Netflix-watching sloth, right? I don't want you to think that about me, so I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't watch a lot of television, but there's this show that you've got to check out on Netflix. It's impression management. How would it change the way I engage in conversations if I gave up impression management? Trying to make people feel good about me all the time. This week, you're going to be tempted to judge somebody. You're going to be tempted to pass an evaluation on somebody who did the wrong thing or did the wrong thing at the wrong time or wore the wrong thing or said the wrong thing. And you will be full of joy that you were able to have seen this person doing the wrong thing at the wrong time and now you have information on this person. Or you think you do. And you can't wait to run to tell the next person, right? So that you can tell them, tell them what you saw and that it was wrong. And what if in that moment you just stopped and you heard the words of Jesus, not so with you. Not so with you. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not a chicken. I don't walk around and peck on all the other chickens that are lower than me. And isn't that kind of what gossip is when we do that? I'm going to peck. I'm going to make myself look superior, and I'm going to make someone else look really bad. It's impression management, and it's wrong. It's our little pecking order, so we're going to pass gossip about somebody who's done something and illegally or allegedly done something, you know, like we know, like we know. But they're successful and it drives us crazy and they're up higher and they're better ranked than we are, so we have to find a way to peck at them. Run them down. 
Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. Now, if you're going to call yourself a Jesus follower, he says, that's not how you're going to do life. Stop impressing Give up impression management and then start investing. You say, well, in, what is that? Invest how? There are a couple of different ways that you can start investing. One of them is, is with your time. Pride can show up with regard to the management of our time as easily as any place else in our life. How we talk about and how we guard our time and what we do with it and how angry we get when it gets taken says an awful lot about our humility and our pride and just the way we are. Here's a possible scenario for you tomorrow. You'll be accomplishing stuff. And the higher you are on the pecking order, the, the more important you are, the more stuff you got going on in your world, the higher the probability of this is that you're going to be doing something. You know what happens. Somebody comes along and delays your accomplishment of stuff. Somebody's going to step right into the path of all the stuff you're getting done. Maybe it's your two-year-old, you know? Maybe it's an elderly person on the interstate that's just not driving fast enough for you. Maybe it's the guy in the fast lane talking on his phone, and he's, like, not really paying attention, and he's going not quite as fast as you need him to go, and you pass him, and when you look over and you see him on his phone, and you know that thing that goes through you, that rage, that, or is that just me talking, that, that, where you want to just roll your window down and say, hang up and drive, right? The one that drives me nuts you guys didn't know it. You've come to be my counselors this morning. This is cathartic for me. The one that's driving me nuts these days, the one that really challenges me, and I have to, I have to really admit, this is hard for me, is when I'm at the store, and I'll be behind this person, and they just suddenly decide to stop with their cart right in the middle with no regard for anybody else or their time. Or, and usually when I go to the store, I'm not in like some great big huge hurry, but it's just an inconvenience, right? They stop right in front of you, and they, 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 they look around, and they're trying to figure out where they're going to go, or they're looking at their phone. That's the one that really irritates me, or they're answering a text. And I'm like, hello, McFly, there are people behind you, you know? And they're oblivious. They're oblivious that you're there. drives me nuts. For you, it might be somebody in the service industry who's new at their job and they're not quite up to speed and they're not getting things done as quickly as you think they ought to be achieving things. And you're going to be tempted to get mad and angry and frustrated because somebody is standing in the way of what you're accomplishing. Somebody has interrupted your agenda. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus, not so with you. Yeah, I know the rest of the world gets upset. I know the rest of the world's really big into the whole time thing. I, I know, I know. Jesus would say, not so with you. Who wants to be a part of this new community Jesus has created? It's about investing. It's about investing our time. It's also about investing our money. Now, before you think that I'm about to launch into why you should give to the church, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I would just simply say this. Generosity 
creates humility in your life. Try it and see. The more generous you are, the more humble you will be. Humility is all about understanding that what you have is really, at the end of the day, not given to you just for you. We talked about this in the last couple of weeks. It's not really just given to you for you. It's given to you to help other people as well. Humility isn't about convincing yourself that you're unattractive or, you're, or that you're incompetent. or It's not about beating yourself up and saying, you know, well, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. You hear that kind of thinking a lot from people who are trying to achieve humility, but they don't know what real humility is. I, you know, I don't know what you think about LeBron James as a person. I kind of like the guy. I know a lot of people don't. Um, but I think that a rational basketball fan would probably agree with me if I said he is one of, if not the, greatest basketball player in the world, certainly in the top five. I think we could agree on that. I mean, the guy can play ball. It would be completely, it would not be humble of LeBron James to say, well, I'm not really that good at basketball. That's not humility, that's stupidity. Humility is all about using our power, our money, our rank to help other people. Because we are feet washers, that's what we are and that's what we should do. We are feet washers, we serve We have a voice to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. We have influence to come alongside those who don't have any influence. And the power that you have or that I have, we have so that we can come alongside those who don't have much power and help them when they need help. But you choose. You choose. You choose pride or humility. You choose honor or humility. You choose the way of the kingdom or the way of the world. You choose whether or not you want to follow a man named Jesus who gave up everything and in that included dying on a cross as a slave, wearing the uniform of a slave. And he proved once and for all that at the end of the day it's really not about you And it's really not about me, it's about him and it's about the people around us. It's about living your life with love and it's about living your life in a way that makes a difference for the people around you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you hear me say that and you think, oh boy, here he goes with the preacher ninja part, this is where he tries to bring me to Jesus. Let me me try this a little differently. I want to offer you Jesus but not the Jesus that you've seen in religion. Not the Jesus that when I say the name, you think, oh, that guy. No, I'm not offering you that Jesus. I'm offering you the Jesus of the Scriptures, the one that challenges you and challenges your motives. The one that will call shenanigans when when no one else will. The one that can see your heart and know that things aren't right in there, and you know they're not right in there. You don't talk about it out loud. We get that. And you carry the facade, I don't need any help. But deep down inside, you know you need help. And I really believe that we all want to be better people, right? I mean, it's not just Christians that want to be better people. People that don't follow Jesus, they want to be better people too. 
Jesus will help you with that. Jesus will make you a better person. Not somebody who gossips, not somebody who's critical, not somebody who's bitter and comparing all the time and putting other people down and running people into the ground. Not that. Jesus says, not so with you. I offer you that, Jesus. I offer you a Jesus that will come into your heart, and if you take him seriously, I mean, listen, this is just a simple little sermon on humility, and we can talk about all the, you know, I could go into Greek and try and impress you with a lot of things. Let's just do this. Let's just be humble tomorrow at work. How about that? You try that and let that kick your tail all week and then come back and we'll talk about something else. But get humility first. And have a conversation with God at the end of the night where you say, God, I, you know, I've made following Jesus about a lot of things that I'm not too sure it's about anymore. I think it might be just about me becoming less and not being so puffed up and full all the time and running other people down. And maybe, maybe Jesus just needs to come work on me. I offer you that, Jesus, and I dare you, I dare you to try to follow him. It's not easy. Let's pray. Father, we're friends in this room. We, We love each other. People in this room love each other. We have had each other's backs. We have walked alongside one another with really hard stuff. We have, we have given money to one another. We have moved each other into houses. We've, we've had meals together. We're in small groups. We love each other. And we're not fooling anybody in here. This is an issue for us. Pride lurks in all of our hearts. And it messes us up. And it makes us do things that we don't like. And it makes us people that we don't like. God, we need Jesus to make us better. And this idea of humility, it's, we talk about it, it just rolls off our lips. It's an easy word to say. It's soft and pretty. Humility. It is so elusive. It is so hard And it is the essence of who Jesus is. And Father, we're going to mess a lot of stuff up. We we don't get a lot of stuff right. But the the world might perk up and listen if they saw one shred of humility in us. So that's my prayer this morning, is that you would help us to take even a baby step in that direction. That tomorrow when we walk into work, people notice something different about us. That we are not upset all the time. And we're not mad because somebody crashed our agenda or interrupted our sentence. But we walk with humility because that's who Jesus is. And that's what we want to be. And Father, for the person in the room who has never given their life to Christ, I pray that they would not see him as someone who carries a big long list of rules and do's and don'ts but that they see him as a person who would radically change their heart and their life and make them better. Father, you are greater. and We honor you and we worship you in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.